I'm going to do our intro. Leomi's the boss, so I got this. Whenever Leomi wants to move, I move and we got this. She say jump, I say hell high. Hey everyone, it's Leomi Anderson here and welcome to my podcast, Role Model, where I talk to some of the world's biggest names about how they became the superstars that we all know and love today. There's a lot of real talk, a lot of tea and plenty of takeaways. And speaking of real, today I have one of the realest, most fly models to come and disrupt the game. She grew up on the streets of LA and experienced bouts of homelessness. But despite all of this, she has gone on to become one of the most iconic faces of Fenty Beauty. In 2019, a cancer diagnosis interrupted her journey, but she is still here fighting and killing it every single day. On the show, we talk about how her upbringing affected who she is today. Seeing my mom in cage like an animal all the time. I write her, but like, you know, sometimes I don't have a return address because I was living in a motel with my grandma or like living like on the streets. So I would just write her. One day I'll probably give my mom all the letters. What it felt like to be in labor on the catwalk of Savage Fenty. Bro, I left my baby daddy. I left my stylist. I was like, I'm out of here. Like, I don't trust any of you guys. And I canceled the Uber while I was still going. And I literally ran out the Uber and went to the hospital. And what the fashion industry is really like behind the gloss. At first it was more like I was a jester. Literally, oh, say, oh, say that with your accent one more time, like, bro, like the same shit people do with you, like they tokenized you, bro, and then they fetishize us. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We have one of the realest, one of the most fly ass models to come and disrupt the game. I would love to introduce you to my girl, Slick Woods. I am so happy to have you on my podcast. We've known each other for a minute now, and a lot of people don't know that we met on the set of Fenty Beauty. So what was your state of mind? And like, what were you thinking when you first got booked to work with Rihanna for Fenty? See, when I first started working, like there's this mixture of being very like um, compassionate about people around you and also being like super grateful for being there. And then there's that chip on your shoulder too as well because I'm from the hood. So people thought that like, you know, I thought that I deserve something because I'm modeling. No, mm. bro. I did, I felt like I deserved something way before modeling. I'm like, nigga, y'all took my mom, y'all took my dad, y'all took everything from me. And that's where I was at, at that teenage year. And then like, you know, Fenty, like, remember I showed up like two hours early. I remember that day, it was so iconic. And I remember being part of that campaign and not realizing how much of an impact it was going to have when it came out. What was your reaction when it came out and everyone was like going crazy over Fenty Beauty and how it really changed the industry and the perception of makeup within the industry? Like, what did you think when that all came out? You know when people say like, oh, I'm putting my toes in real quick. I'm going to just see what the weather like. like <laughs> I'm going to dip my toe in there. I dip, we dipped our toes in there and we was like, 
it was a sea monster that sucked us in and we literally went in some straight like completely reinventing beauty like we're just all young girls you know like we didn't know how much backlash and how much praise we were going to get yeah, it's such a crazy thing to be a part of. And I think one of the reasons why people loved it so much was because we all represented a different idea of beauty. And that's one thing that I love about you when you came into the industry. And we talk about this a lot, how, you know, the industry wasn't trying to have girls that looked like you. So what was it like for you to come into the industry and like really shake it up? At first, it was more like I was a jester. And literally oh say oh say that with your accent one more time like bro like the same shit people do with you like they tokenized you bro and then they fetishize us i'm not your fetish bro like that's out like mm. so like it gets on your nerves because bro i want to be the king i want to be fed grapes fuck this jester shit <laughs> so bro i'm not gonna fucking like dance around with little like balls on my shoes but at the same token we have that feeling but there's always that feeling in the back of your mind of how long is this gonna last because this industry is so fickle exactly it's very 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 fickle and we're at our age like i started late when it comes to modeling because um my baby father adonis and other people started early like teenage years i started 19 18 so how were you scouted i was found on the street like this man was like hey uh oi like i'm from croydon like i'm model i'm like what the <laughs> fuck is that a model bro you made up a job and my head models were fake people that people like made like anime or something like you feel me so i was like bro nah and then he Googled himself. I'm like, cool. You Googled yourself. Don't care, bro. Like, and we kept like going back and forth. And he's like, bro, like, you'll never have to like worry about anything again. I'm like, what? And then I didn't. So what was your state of mind when you were scouted? And what did you think modeling was going to be like before you entered into the industry? I thought modeling was going to be like clueless, but like <laughs> I was going to be like the loser Cause I'm like the short girl out of the tall ones. And on top of that, I'm like the hood girl out of the none. So it's like, and then like high fashion modeling, it's like, bro, like I'm not skinny enough or I get like all this backlash. Like, oh, you're getting chubby. I'm like, bro, that shit don't phase me. Like, bro, you're not hurting. I feel like, I'm like, girl, I'm getting thick. <laughs> it's like, I got, I met a Leomi and I'm like, oh, this is the thing about Leomi. And Leomi's not going to let me say this. She might cut this shit out on God. But <laughs> Bro, she will build a fucking elevator and tell you how to use it. She'll tell you what buttons to press, what key to use. Because you want to know why. Like, I feel like for me, when I entered into the industry, it was so normal. Like, agents would tell other Black girls, don't go into a casting after another Black girl because the casting director might get you confused. Don't talk to other Black girls because they're your competition. There's only room for one Black girl to succeed. And I never felt comfortable with that. And it never sat right with me, even when I was 14 years old. But when I was that age, all I knew was like, just put your head down. I didn't know how to speak up. But as I got older, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not going to allow these people to tell me. Bro, I'm bitch in charge. Like, I can say what's up. Exactly. But it does take time to find your voice in the industry. Is there any time that you've experienced where you felt like you didn't have control over your image or control over what you were doing within the modeling industry? Never. 
Because <laughs> you know me. You know facts. Like, I walk off like, bro, I'm out, bro. There's a lot of things that people try to do to me because they thought, like, I was coming out of being homeless and everything. Like, I just was so appreciative for, like, what they were giving me. So, like, they thought I would just jump for anything. It's like, bro, nah. Mm. Loyalty, respect, honesty, trustworthiness, it's all, like, my top pillars. Mm. It's true. Don't come for me, bro. It's true. You'll sit there with me. I'll cry on set before I fucking, like... Do something that you don't want to do. No, I don't do anything I don't want to do. I want to talk to you about even before modeling. I want to know what was a day in the life of Slick growing up. I just want to know a little bit more about your story from the very, very beginning. Day in the life of Slick before modeling. Okay, Liam. (laughs) Um... Uh, literally uh, wake up, hair like this. <laughs> hair crazy. Like, hair hair pressed, but like, it's just going crazy. I'm like, walk my dog. I'm like, oh, and I'm wearing a bra top and I'm wearing a regular baggy jeans in UCLA. <laughs> but UCLA, young people like a lot, <laughs> cough up a lot of money for what they want. So <laughs> I'm going to make a lot of money here. And they owe me. So it's like, I didn't go to college when I went to college. <laughs> but you were doing what you had to do to to kind of just get your money and just survive at that time, no? A lot of like selling drugs, like selling lean, selling pills, just to survive. Because like, bro, like, I don't know family, I don't know friends, I have shit to do, I don't know job. I don't have no education. And when you don't have education, and it keeps building up. Right now, if I fall off, and I apply right now just for fun on this FaceTime call, on this Zoom call. Like, I could literally apply for McDonald's and then by the end of the day, they'll be like, nah. Mm. Because I don't have enough education. Like, I didn't graduate nothing. What were you like in school? Bro, I've always excelled in school. Like, tests, everything. Like, I'm always on it. But it's like, when you go to Minneapolis and then you come back to California with education, I'm like, bro, I was already trig in fifth grade. What, what's going, like, I'm learning Algebra 1 again? Like, no. Yeah, I know that you moved around a lot as well. Like, what was that like for you? And do you feel that it prepared you for modeling? I don't think anything really prepares you for modeling because modeling is kind of like, they kind of strip you of everything and they kind of tell you like, bro, you can't have a pet, you can't have a boyfriend, you can't have a girlfriend. Like, you got to jump up right now in a couple hours of your flight right now. Like, mm. So you felt quite helpless kind of when you were modeling? Because you didn't really have full control over everything. I felt controlled. Bro, I had no control over anything. And the fact of the matter is, when your first agency, I feel like they always disable you. Well, my first agency did, like, they pay your taxes. They'll walk your dog. They'll literally pay your rent months in advance with your money. Like, And you'll literally have no say in what goes on. But, like, oh, but you only get this amount this month, this week, or that week. It's like, what? Mm. Like, you're not my real dad. You're not taking on the trash. You're not my real dad. It's very easy for someone who doesn't know the industry to only see that side and not understand there's more of a depth to it and there's so much of a grind that goes into it. But it's like, it's like a lot of people when I got sick, a lot of people like were worried, you know? But the worriness kind of like deflected from what I was trying to do because I'm trying to distract myself from what's going on. So like, let me work. Like I kept saying like, bro, I just want to work. Like, 
Do you think that having Sophia changed your perspective on how you care about people and how you love talk to me about how being a mom changed you as a person the only thing about Sophia is he taught me submissiveness and he taught me how to be caring and loving like he's very like emotional like to the point where he he's sensitive like he'll show you emotions straight lace and I taught him that from beginning I was like from jump I'm like vulnerability is strength bro why was it so important to you that Sophia be able to show his emotions, especially as a young black boy? Oh, man, vulnerability is so important because it's just like, bro, like I always say, like, however he's feeling, he should feel that. And I feel like black men are always <laughs> intertwined and in a fucking entanglement. Like, of like... <laughs> some bullshit and it's like they can't express their feelings without being judged or commented on it's like bro but if a girl cries it's like women are beautiful when they cry like or like she's crying she's sad let's stop like you get chastised repeatedly for being just having emotion for being just male like he wasn't he didn't choose to be a male I think that's really beautiful. And I think it's so beautiful that you're raising him with the mentality that it's okay to be open and be vulnerable. Because as you said, like for young black men, like there's still so much toxic masculinity within the community. And I think it's important for all this new generation of parents to have your mentality because it's damaging and it's toxic when guys cannot express their emotions. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it. Been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show, but my listeners wanted to write the ad for me, and here are some of the things they said. Not your regular Juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, 
great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you'll instantly be obsessed with, a juicy crime story, and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments, and you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. Let's talk about you going into labor backstage at the Fenty show. Bro, when I left the show, I said, okay, y'all, got to go. And then I'm in the, I'm in the shit and they turn off the lights because some TMZ car is following us. It's like, and I'm scared of the dark. Like, so I'm like hyperventilating. I'm going to push him out. Like he, he's only five pounds. You said like, I can do this. Like it's nothing. Not so I, I, I literally went to another hospital and I was like, Oh, I'm stressed out. Like I ran out the hospital with a snakeskin coat from the floor. You saw how long my snakeskin coat was. I ran out the hospital and said, Oh, they're trying to kill me. Then I went to my agent's assistant's house for like seven hours when my contractions got closer and I was just screaming, like, and his roommates were like, Yahtzee! And I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> So then I went to another hospital, and then I went to this hospital, and then they were like, oh, well, we need to call out the hospital to get your information. I said, oh, y'all working in cahoots? I remember. I was super paranoid. I don't understand why I was so paranoid. I was like, y'all, like, I was like, I looked like Tupac. Like, I was like, what are y'all doing? Like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> I can't even believe you went to two hospitals in one night. I don't even think I would have moved. I would have just sat in that friend's apartment and just pooed the baby out there. Bro, I left my baby daddy. I left my stylist. I left Carly. I was like, I'm out of here. Like, I don't trust any of you guys. And I canceled the Uber while I was still going. And I literally ran out the Uber and went to the hospital. And then Sophia was born. How long was your labor in total? And after he was born, what did you do? I released my, like... You were done. <laughs> like, literally, that's when you, like, I passed out. I literally, it was like, he's so beautiful. And, and passed out. That's crazy. I can't believe you had a fashion week labor. Like, that's insane. Fashion week is stressful enough as it is. You would be the one to go and pop out a baby at that exact time too. <laughs> I was like popping out a baby. Adonis was already stressed because he was in fashion week too. So we're both models. It's like, can we have a different job? <laughs> they want to, oh, oh, can we get the whole family in a campaign? I'm like, oh, grab the swim diapers. Like, let's get this. Like, <laughs> Tell me, how did you balance your career once Sophia was born? And as you said, like a lot of brands and stuff obviously wanted to shoot you guys as a family. How did you navigate, you know, the new addition to your family? At first, I kind of was like, oh, I want to wait till Sophia's old enough to tell me what he wants to do. But literally, he started moving like he wants to do it. So it's like, if you want to model, do your thing, do your thing. That's never what I want intended for you. Like, if you want to be a doctor, be a doctor. If you want to be a lawyer, a tax chief. But I think it's so beautiful. You guys have a lot of beautiful memories together now. And I think, like, I've seen some really beautiful pictures of you guys you guys are a modern day family. He's a way better model than I ever could aspire to be. I was like, bro, he'd just be like, this so... I'm like, all right, bro, what do you think, man? <laughs> 
What's one piece of advice that you would rather Safir learn from you than go through himself? I was talking to 21 Savage about that. I was like, bro, like, what would you like tell your kids, like, you know, growing up struggling and like, you know, they growing up rich. How do you like instill those same character pillars without having them go through the pain? You feel me? Yeah. I was like, okay, so what do I do, bro? You know, like, he's like, bro, like, you just got to trust them. And like, mm. bro, like, you just got to move. How you move? Like, there's like, trust yourself and trust them. Like, just keep moving. Like, think about it is your kids copy you. Mm. You can't expect too much from kids. You can't expect too much from adults either. So you just got to like, let them be themselves. And like, think about it is, I just try not to. The only thing I feel like I have control over completely is I don't want to give them any type of PTSD with mother with mother problems. That's the only thing I could do. I could be there as much as I can, answer when he call, when I'm not at work or whatever. I could be there. That's all I can do. And like, whatever he's going through, I'm completely equipped to handle. I got a whole utility belt ready. Like, bro, like, what you need? I got I got band-aids, I got lip gloss, chapstick, what you want, bro? <laughs> I know that during lockdown, you haven't been able to see him as well. How has that been for you? Undescribable. Yeah, I know. But Sophia has a great father. That's all I can be thankful for, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, like, a lot of people don't even... I, I grew up without a father, so... Do you feel like... The fact that you didn't grow up with a dad made you realise and appreciate how... Or did it make you just want to change how things would be for Sophia? Bro, my mom was a mom and a dad. I don't. I never needed a dad. I never needed a father. And my mom would have already knew what to do. Like, I don't need nothing. My mom always told me, I don't need nothing. I don't need nobody. I don't need. But what you want... You got to express. Your mom taught you a lot. Oh, my mom, like, I literally had my mom for four years, and I swear to God, a lot of these people, like, act and move like dummies. And I'm like, bro, did you have a mom? Like, like who who raised you? Uh-uh. See, I think that you are an amazing mom because, as you said, you just want your child to, to be free and to understand that he's his own person. And I think that's something that Sophia's definitely going to learn from you. What's one piece of parenting advice that you picked up from your mom or your mom gave to you? She basically said, like, the way she describes it, like, describes it, it's like, it sounds like I raised myself. Like, she's like, oh, potty training? I went to the bathroom, you follow me. And you went to your little potty. And I was like... Okay, mom, so thanks for the pie train lesson. <laughs> but, like, my mom, like, she already talked to me as if I was an adult. So, like, it was like she talked to me without, like, that Google Gaga, like. But it must have been so hard then when she went away because it sounds like you two were really close and you remember so much from when you were young. I barely, I can remember little bits of when I was younger, but you seem to have like a lot of recollection of like the quality time that you spent with your mum. So when she went away, how was that for you and how did you cope with it at such a young age? It was like a best friend being ripped out your chest. Like. Mm. But not understanding why and not understanding what and not understanding how or why, like, what is going on? Like, seeing my mom in cage like an animal all the time and not wanting to, like, I write her, but, like, 
you know, sometimes I don't return address because I was living in a motel with my grandma or like living like on the streets. Like, so I just write her. So one day I'll probably give her, give my mom all the letters. That's probably the first time I ever mentioned that the letters I never gave my mom. My mom, like seeing her now is like, she still acts the same age as when she went in. Like, What was it like for you after not seeing your mom for so long? The first day she was watching Ted Bundy tapes after getting <laughs> out of prison for murder. I'm like, bro, can you not? <laughs> Just chill off murder for a little bit. like. Oh my, I'm so done. She was missing for six hours. She goes on a day with a Lyft driver. I'm like, bro, I swear I put you on a Lyft to go to the grocery store a block away. You're now the, the mom almost. It's like you're basically sisters as opposed to... It's like Gilmore Girls, but hood version. Like, But that's so beautiful, though, that like your friendship is still there. Like the core love and the, the core friendship that you had. I think a lot of people, when their parents get incarcerated... They either put them on a pedestal, like, bro, my parents didn't ever do anything. Like, fuck you talking about? You can't tell me shit? And that's where I was. And then you got the people that be like, you know, you deadbeat. Like, you ain't shit. Like, my like my elementary school principal still was like, where's your mom? I was like, I remember I used to say it. She's on a business trip. When your mom went away, how did they describe it to you? What did they, did they just say, oh, she's gone for a business trip? Like, how long did it take you to find out the truth? I don't think I ever told this to anybody ever in, in real life to either. Like, uh, my mom got arrested literally in front of me. Really? I didn't, I didn't know that. That's so crazy. You were so young. What did you think was happening? You don't think, like, you literally just shut down. Like, you're scared. And scary, being scared is is different for me. Like, I'm not ever scared. So, like, it was, like, almost like a panic attack because it's, like, I don't know what this feeling is. Like, Was anybody there with you? Like, I don't understand. I think that's insane. She put me with my godmother and then she, um, I want my grandma. This podcast this episode it's real it's raw it's real and the thing is you're a beautiful person and I, I want people to understand like how, how you've become who you are and who you are as a person I actually want to talk to you about the first time that you went to Paris because I know that was a really monumental moment for you and I want the, the audience to kind of hear that story from your perspective Oh, that's crazy because a lot of people think that I was crying because I met Rihanna. And I wasn't crying because I read Rihanna. I was like, uh, you know, new girl, new person. She's beautiful as fuck. Talented as fuck. Boss lady as fuck. But that's not why I cried. I cried because it's like it felt like I was around a team that supported what I was feeling. You feel what I'm saying? And on top of that, like people that cared about other people, like mm. actually because of modeling, you've been able to travel to so many countries. What is one of the craziest experiences you've had abroad or a memory that you're just never going to forget from when you were abroad? Definitely the Philippines. And then like seeing like the kids out there that have like blonde hair and you're thinking, oh, like they bleached it or they did something to-. like, nah, it's from malnutrition. They're starving. And like meeting the orphanage I connected with and like my friend that was there, like I was just like, this is not what I expected. I, I literally didn't want to fuck with nobody after that because I was like, nobody really cares. Like, 
I actually remember when we were speaking around that time and how much it touched you to to be there and to be able to help the the orphanage. Why why do you feel like it's such an a, an emotional point for you? We were speaking in different languages. Like I told my life story and the kids started crying and like I'm like, bro, like y'all don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. And like getting a tattoo out there and seeing how they live and like literally like in the huts. And they literally do their laundry in the same place. They take a shit, bro. That's not fair at all. Like, we got lazy boys in laundry all day. Like, it's so unreal and unnecessary. Like, Do you feel like it's upsetting to you because maybe it reminds you of a time when you were going through homelessness as well? It was the only time I ever felt like someone connected to me. But one thing is, Slick, that I will say about you is that you're one of the strongest people that I know. You've been through so much in your life. And honestly, you stayed so true to yourself and you've always been someone who wants to spread realness and love. Even though you've been through so much, I feel like your experiences have made you such a strong person. And I think one of the reasons why you got put on this platform to be a model is to inspire other people who have been through any of the things that you've been through. And honestly, like, I know that, you you know, you've got like a couple of tears in your eyes right now and it's emotional, <laughs> but, but, but listen, like, honestly, Slick, like what you have done in the industry, you've inspired so many people. And I feel like there's so many little girls out there who look at what you've done and can say like yo like I can do that or I'm worthy of being seen even if they don't want to be models they see you and they can think I'm worthy of being seen I'm worthy of taking up space and I'm worthy of being unapologetically myself and I feel like that's what you represent in the industry that means so much to me honestly and like I don't want to down modeling but it just like feels like I just want to build something and literally see it be built You're working on your project right now with the charity for homeless. Tell me a bit more about that, because I think that's super amazing. Reconnecting kids with like their mothers and fathers that like they've been taken away from for over 20 years. Some of them like it's like that's why they go crazy. This is not like an epidemic. This is like snipering. This one man was like he hasn't seen a kid in 20 years. He got beat up by the police. So this is all like police and um, the hospital dropping off people with uh, amnesia or like dyslexia or any dementia or any old people too with the hospital gowns on. So of course they look crazy. But that's the thing, isn't it? That people don't want to take the time to learn their stories. People don't want to take the time to see really what's going on. And I think that it's really beautiful that you're taking the time out to go into these communities and learn their stories and listen to what they have to say, you know, because not many people want to listen. Nah, nobody wants this. And so what we call in this project now is you can't ignore us now. Oh, amazing. That's amazing. I want you to post more about it as well so I can like keep up with it as well. I just, I'm so out the loop when it comes to like social media. I just don't feel like it's that important, but yes, that's what I need for the backup I need. But also I just like, I'm so in, you know how I am, I'm so in the moment. Like, have you ever seen me take a selfie, bro? Yeah, no, (laughs) it's amazing that you've been able to be a part of so many, you know, just real stories that really help people with your work on Skid Row. And I really, I really can't wait to see more of that as well. And please, I want you to come back on social media and share what you've been doing with people. Yeah, I'll share more because I don't share as much as I should, but I'll share more. But 
Um, yeah, like they're just so like beautiful people. Like you literally, like I've met so many people in my life, and I literally like this last year I've met more people that I care about than me. Like and literally, like oh, so how's little Johnny doing on Skid Row? Like, <laughs> but you care about them, and they need people to care. You know. So honestly, I'm so proud of you. I'm so, so, so proud of you for doing what you're doing. And I can't wait to see what you do next. And to if there any way when I come to LA, for sure, like we're going to do something together. Yes. I have one last question to ask you before we wrap up. It is from Christina. She's 18. She said, I'm about to become a mom for the first time. Is there one thing you can tell me about that no one else will tell you about being a mother? I'm very excited, but also very terrified. The thing about babies is you think about like too much of taking care of them. It's like they take care of you like emotionally. I feel like with me, I was like, whoa, like, like my son, like he'll literally be like, "Mom, love you." I'll be like, "That was so wet, but thank you." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that the most like important thing for a mother is always just be creative because if you broke or whatever, you could figure out a way to like literally you could put paint in the um on top of a piece of paper and then put it in a plastic bag, a Ziploc baggie, and they they'll push their hands on it. You know, be creative and like literally just just be open to anything they want to tell you because they'll teach you stuff that you don't know how to, you know, I don't know how to use this iPad. And it's like, they'll teach you stuff like stuff that you, we don't know yet, like about how we move, politics. Yeah, and it's like, just, just be open. Just literally listen to them like about their sexuality, about like, I don't want to be a boy. Like, okay, let's figure this shit out. I love that. And my last question to you, Slick, is what is your favorite affirmation or mantra to live by? Always two of them, which are tatted on me, which is my mom's letter to me, her last letter, which was, I truly love you more than life itself. And that's the first time she ever said, truly. She always says, I love you more than life itself. And then it has always like a teardrop or something next to her letters. But like this one, it's her last letter. Used her, tattoo artist used her writing on the letter. Oh, that's beautiful. So then, like, after years of troublemaking, just like I said, drug taking and experimenting with every part of my life, it seems the most radical thing you could do is care for yourself and other people. And that's the most, it seems like the most radical thing. But, bro, that's regular. You've had so many amazing experiences. What can we expect from you in the future? Bro, all you can expect from anyone is what you expect, honestly. But... Um, what I do have coming up is like literally like just we trying to get back that moment, that feeling when you touch your son after like years or whatever, like all those. Mo- I just want to sh- like let me share those with y'all. Like I like watching that. Yes. And when I come to South London, I definitely want to show it your dad because I want to dress him up. Yeah, you want to dress up my dad. <laughs> I want to dress him like Lance. <laughs> that would be a trip with skinny jeans and shit he'd be like with the levers on nah <laughs> okay I'm gonna hold you to that <laughs> he'd be like what's up wife I'm just coming through nothing serious it's dinner it's regular oh my gosh my dad you don't even wanna know if you got him dressed up like Lance he would not even recognize himself he'll be moving insane and then of course I'd need babies 
because it's like, how are we going to have like play dates if you don't know babies? Nah, not yet. If I had a baby right now, I would leave it at TSA when I'm coming to LA to come and visit you. I will forget. Did you just hear her? She said she'd leave her baby at TSA on accident. <laughs> like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Bro, I tell you right now, you think you're not ready, but like, I know that you're just taking a responsible th- joint, but honestly, like, you're so ready. Look at you. Don't make my head all big. And I think as soon as you see your baby, you would literally be like, bro, like nothing else fucking matters. Like, well, Slick, thank you so much for joining me on Role Model Podcast. I feel like people have gotten to know the side of you that I've gotten to love and experience over these past few years, even if it's just a little taster. And honestly, I can't wait to see what you do next. As long as I'm curled up in Corona season, I'm all everybody is. (laughs) Role Model is a Something Else production produced by Harriet Wells. Additional production from Steve Ackerman. The executive producers are Claire Solon and Chris Skinner. Special thanks goes to Ellen McLeod, Charlotte Tahira, Camilla Baden, Jesse Donnelly, Emma Lansden and Mark Rivers. The sound engineer was Gulliver Tickle. Next time on Role Model. I had so many expectations of what America was going to be like. Because, you know, when you're in the camp and we're just running around, everybody's talking about America and like wanting to escape, you know, the refugee camp. And, you know, all these things about how people go to America and they instantly become millionaires and big houses and fancy cars and yada, yada. And that was so far from our experience. In fact, when we left Kakuma Refugee Camp, we landed in a place called St. Louis, Missouri. And they put us in the ghetto. In the ghetto (laughs) toe. (laughs) It was my first time. Literally, it was my first time hearing gunshots. You know, the streets were very impoverished. Like, the school didn't even have an ESL program. And I remember crying to my mom saying... This is the real refugee camp. Take me home. I want to go back to Kakuma.